Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. In this episode of Edgelands, we venture into Kaliningrad. Right, so if you imagine a map of Europe, there's Finland up there in the northeast of the continent. Then you head across the Baltic Sea south into Estonia before travelling down to Latvia and Lithuania. And then there, sandwiched between Lithuania, the Baltic Sea and Poland, is this peculiar outpost of Russia 300 miles away from the mainland. Now, for me, Kaliningrad is almost like a blind spot in Europe. I know so little about it, and I'm pretty sure I don't know anyone who's been there before. So I was really interested to hear Ash's report and to get to the bottom of whether it feels more European, as it is geographically, or if it feels more Russian. I was also interested to hear how Ash, as an army reserves man, would get on while trying to check out the naval ships that are based here. Now, back to that mental map... Kaliningrad has this peninsula jutting out into the Baltic Sea and linking that peninsula to Lithuania is this quite extraordinary sandbank called the Curonian Spit. It's basically a massive dune and it's along this spit that Ash entered Kaliningrad and faced a few difficulties with the border guards. So we're approaching the Lithuanian border now. No problem driving through. I was thinking, what would they ask me before they go in? How much would they look into my past? Would I spend a lot of time at the border? So I had gone from the Lithuanian town of Nida, which is the closest Lithuanian town, got up to the border in a taxi to cross the border into Russia, and then was being picked up by a Russian guide on the other side. But I thought I was going to have a difficult time at the border. Ervidas, for the Russians, don't, yeah, don't say journalist. Don't say journalist. Say traveller. Holiday. Ash, what's going on here? Right, OK, this isn't quite uh, as subterfugional as it sounds. I don't know if that's a real word. But when you're a travel writer, you're going to places just to show what they're like. You're just revealing them. You're not there to, you know, dig into what the government are up to and so on. And Russia does have a reputation for not treating its own journalists well and doesn't like foreign journalists digging around finding out what they're up to. And I was worried that if he said that I was a journalist, I would be put into 
this pot of the current affairs and investigative journalists and spend a couple of hours being interrogated by the FSB, asking why I'd got a tourist visa and not a journalist visa, because I was going there as a travel writer, but not going there to dig about what Putin had been up to in the last election. Of course, yeah, yeah, because I guess you might end up having a kind of a mark next to your name if you're flagged up as being an international journalist, right? Well, and if I was going in on a tourist visa, which I am, and then they discover that I'm there for journalistic reasons, as in the current affairs news reasons, that would cause all sorts of trouble, and I would not want to be going down that route. So, yes, I was very much going in as a travel writer and uh, wanted to make sure that there wasn't any possible misconceptions about why I was there. Thank you. But then you're... The guy you're travelling with, Alberto, actually, he had some problems getting in. Were, were you nervous there was a chance he might not be able to get in at all? just going to check the passport because he don't, they don't know Mexican passports no. here. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, I, I knew Alberto's not the kind of person that has done anything in his life that would cause him any trouble. But I think this is the first time they'd ever had a Mexican crossing this particular border. They just had no idea what to do with a Mexican passport. Normally they don't cross by land. So having a very robust passport check, I saw them in the passport office checking everything. They were scanning every page using UV. And Alberto, who I'm travelling with, is Mexican. And the Mexican passport seems to have really confused them. So they've taken the passports away and there'll be another 10 minutes. Alberto, do you think they're going to not let you into Russia? Yeah, it should not be a problem. I was in Russia before, but discrimination. If for some reason they decided they didn't want us in, they could have just said, no, you're not coming into Kaliningrad. There would have been nothing we could have done about it. And that's always at the back of your mind when you're crossing borders. Uh, But then in the end, the border guy was actually all right with you, wasn't he? Yeah, the border guard was actually quite funny. He had this great wordplay where he was asking me about whether or not we were going in for the World Cup or what we were going in for. I said, no, I'm just going in as a tourist. And then he said, as long as you're going in as a tourist and not a terrorist, which I thought was a remarkable bit of wordplay for a man in a second language as a border guard who is there to, you know, be stern and taciturn. That's wordplay worthy of a telegraph writer, (laughs) if you ask me. Uh, no, ah, no, tourism, and then next coming back maybe for football. No terrorism. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, we may have to wait a while, but we got in without any problems. And now we're on the Russian side of the Kuronian spit. We're in Kaliningrad state. Or Kaliningrad Oblast, as they say in Russian. We're on our way. Nice cheerful entry into Russia. Robust border control. Nothing wrong with that. And driving through the beautiful forests of the Kuronian Spit. So, right, so you finally get through the border. Can you just describe what does Kaliningrad look like? Your first impressions as you're looking out the window. The first part of Russia looked exactly like Lithuania because it's, of course, the same environment. And then we continue on into mainland Kaliningrad. And it's quite heavily farmed. But one of the things you notice are these old German roads. Because it was German until 1945, you've got these long roads which have got, I think they're poplar trees or lime trees on either side of the road. So you very much get this sense of being in Northern Europe. 
and some of the houses are very much of that old German style. The way the fields have been laid out looks very familiar to that part of Europe. And of course, the way the roads have been laid out. How bizarre. And now we're swapping over to our Kaliningrad Russian guide, Olga. Hi, Olga. Early. Privet. Early? Uh, yes, because really? I was told uh, from 9.30 to yeah. 10 o'clock. And now it is, it is. 10. Uh, oh, Alright, so tell me about Olga. So Olga was the guide that was going to be showing me around Kaliningrad for the first day. And she is a font of knowledge. She was also the person that showed Michael Palin around during his series New Europe. I don't know if you caught that. It was a BBC series a what, few years what ago. What year was it, Ash? Oh, 2003? No, I was, uh, I was in year eight in 2003, <laughs> so I can't, I can't, can't say I remember that one, Ash. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, Greg. Thanks for that, mate. Okay, so she was showing Michael Palin around. So she's clearly the person to be speaking to in Kaliningrad. She is the person. She is super enthusiastic. She is like a super energised Duracell bunny. So she used to be a ballerina, it turned out. You look like you might have once been a dancer. Were you a dancer? Yes, I'm I still am. You still are? What do you dance? Ballet? Uh, I, I know that because I actually had read Michael Palin's description about her and said it looks like she may have once been a dancer and she had been a ballerina and she is in her early 50s now and she, I asked her if she still does ballet and she said, well, only to keep fit and then immediately performed the splits on the ground in front of us. Splits, that's impressive. It was the kind of splits that you would see people doing on TV. <laughs> To make you laugh. <laughs> I'm a strange woman. <laughs> no, you're great. <laughs> Have you heard about the dancing forest? No. This is described as one of the mo uh, one of the seven most mysterious places in Russia. It's the forest. A pine so I'm intrigued about the dancing. Forest. Can you explain to me what, what exactly is this? So the Coronian Spit is a sandbank and it's basically held together by roots of trees. That's what stops the whole thing being blown away by the wind. And the trees are pine forests. And many of them were cut down centuries ago and then they've been replanted since then. And this particular region of the pine forest was planted in the 50s or 60s. And the pine forest is perfectly normal, straight vertical pine trees and then suddenly for this patch it's about 100 meters by 100 meters the trees go crazy they start going up and then suddenly they in some cases loop all the way back on themselves 360 degrees what? they continue going straight up in others they go straight up then take a two foot diversion horizontally and then continue going straight up in others you've got two trees that have intertwined and gone over each other and then continue straight up and there's this magical miasma of different shapes of tree trunks huh. in this really small stretch of forest. So how do you think the trees have actually ended up like this? Well, I'm not a botanist, Greg, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> and as far as I understand it, plants grow in reaction to their environment. So they will go towards sun and they will move away from things that are bad for them. And because this is in such a concentrated area, it must have been caused by something that is there. Now, the 
Soviets came up with this classic bit of Soviet propaganda where they blamed the Germans because the Germans had an airfield there and they said, oh, they must have poisoned the ground because that's what those evil fascists would have done. Um, that's certainly possible. And it's only in this very small stretch within the trees that you get this twisting pattern. So it must have only existed for a period of time that you, you caused some environmental cause that made it happen. Some people, of course, blame aliens. Always a good one when you don't know what's really going on. Blame the aliens. Of course. Uh, but I, I guess it could have been some kind of environmental catastrophe. They These were there in the 50s or the 60s. It might have been something in the soil. This geomagnetic pulse, perhaps. So I'm standing on a jetty on the westernmost point of Russia. This is the entrance to the port of Baltisk and it's the home of a commercial fleet but it's also the home of the Russian Navy's Baltic fleet and as I look out to see now I can see two warships parked up having just come back from exercise and another two on the way back into the home port and overlooking this entrance to the port is a statue of Elizabeth the Great on horseback. She was the daughter of Peter the Great, the man who first turned Russia to the west. He built St. Petersburg and he's also the man that founded the Russian Navy. So it's appropriate that his daughter is overlooking it. Actually, she was the first person well, under her. Russia first occupied what was then Konigsberg and East Prussia. And then the Soviet Red Army came back in in 1945 and finished the job and Kaliningrad, as it was renamed, has been part of Russia ever since. I've got to say, I was really surprised that they let you get this close to the warships. Right, exactly. So the reason why Kaliningrad is so important to Russia is it gives it this ice-free port, and that's why they keep the Baltic fleet. And it gives Russia military reach, it gives it capability, and it also allows it to deploy ground forces from there. And military strategists see this as a potential risk. In fact, there was a war game a couple of years ago where they imagined what would happen if Russia tried to close this gap between Belarus and Kaliningrad and cut off the Baltic states. So it's something that is thought of as this militarily important place, both by the West and by the Russians. And the key piece of military infrastructure and real estate there is their naval base. And you need special permission to get into the area of the naval base, not into the naval base itself, but to the town of Baltisk. So Baltisk is the town that is the naval base, a bit like Portsmouth. Right. You, know, you don't need a special permission to get to Portsmouth. No. But in Russia, you need special permission to get to Baltisk. So we applied for this and I was just given it. I have a piece of paper with my name stamped by the FSB. <laughs> saying, I'm allowed into Baltisk. Suddenly, there I was, on this canal, looking at the Russian Baltic fleet. But, you know, going into the town of Baltisk, you can wander about, and it is this town with a great history. It had the... But it was a Prussian port, and it's got some old submarine colleges there. It's got some big naval bases there. And it's just quite a interesting town with an interesting history and actually there's a there's a graveyard there where they reburied german soldiers because right. there was a very intense very bloody battle at the end of world war ii when the soviet red army took the whole of the kaliningrad area from the germans or konigsberg as it was known then that was the old prussian name and so they 
still every now and again they find uh, mass graves and they rebury them with proper ceremonies and so on. And actually in the town of Baltisk, there is a, a grave for German soldiers there. How did the town of Baltisk feel? Did it have a kind of, around where the warships are, was there a kind of oppressive atmosphere to it? Absolutely not. There were people having their picnics on the westernmost point of Russia, which is basically this jetty that extends out into the sea that allows the um, the ships to come into the harbour safely. I could see two of the Baltic fleet warships on the horizon, but no. And, and this is what I suddenly realised. We read about the military threat. We read about the fact that they redeployed Iskander missiles to this place. But that doesn't mean that it is like the days of the Soviet Union where everybody's walking around in fear. This is modern Russia. Kaliningrad is now a place you can openly visit. In fact, the England football team are playing one of their group stages there in the World Cup this year. Indeed. And it's like going to Portsmouth. Yes, there's a military base there. But does that mean that Portsmouth feels like a town under martial law? No, it doesn't. And it's exactly the same for Baltisk and the same for the whole of the rest of Kaliningrad. So heading back along Leninsky Prospect or Lenin Avenue through Kaliningrad, it's a weird experience. You've got these buildings that were built in the Soviet time but have been redecorated on the front to look like German buildings from Konigsberg, from what it was before. But because the city was so heavily bombed, it doesn't seem to have a centre of gravity. Imagine if London had been really heavily bombed in the Blitz and all that remained was St Paul's Cathedral, Spitalfields, and in between everything was built in the brutalist 60s. And it definitely reminds me of somewhere like Delhi. Or even a bit like Khartoum. So I find it interesting that you're comparing Kaliningrad to Delhi or Khartoum. Can you explain this a bit? So the locals in the city of Kaliningrad call the city Koenig. Okay. So that's their way of distinguishing the city from the region. Anyway, I was in the centre of Koenig and I'd gone there with this idea of trying to find some of the German heritage and seeing, you know, some old German architecture. And the whole of the centre of Koenig what I was looking at from the Hotel Kaliningrad was just this flat concrete mass with big concrete plazas, massive six-lane roads, cables for wires and electricity and trams and a massive modern shopping mall with neon lights and none of the architecture matched and it was noisy and the you could hear the lights for the pedestrian crossing going off. And yeah people beeping their horns, and it just felt a lot like the centre of Delhi, like the unpleasant parts of Delhi, or the unpleasant parts of the centre of Khartoum, where there's no history, no character, no charisma, it's just concrete and traffic. And that was my first impression of being in the middle of the city of Koenig. I'm in the Hotel Kaliningrad, and this is the old interest hotel. It was the only place that foreign guests were allowed to stay in Kaliningrad, and it would have had babushkas on each floor. That's old women that would record the comings and goings of every guest into their rooms. It's a kind of place where you would have imagined there to be microphones underneath the ashtrays. Well, the babushkas are gone, and I don't think there's any microphones under the ashtrays, but the hotel overlooks a road junction, the centre of Koenig, and the House of Soviets. The House of Soviets is a completely unused, massive structure surrounded by a square that I presume would have planned to have been the 
central council for Kaliningrad. It's got bridges and balconies, but it's this massive white elephant in the middle of the city. And then you can see the Konigsberg Cathedral. This is the rebuilt cathedral after it had been destroyed by bombs during the war. And so far, I'm finding it hard to love this city. And whilst the outlying villages and towns still have their charm because they still have a lot of their German buildings intact, the city itself just looks rather dull. There's a shopping centre, there's this massive white elephant, but nothing that makes me excited. There's not really an easy heart to walk around or an old city to see because of the war damage. And it's all been rebuilt in the Soviet period. And it sounds like you weren't particularly enamoured with the building, the House of Soviets. Your, your reaction to it doesn't seem particularly positive. Well, what had happened, of course, was when the war was going on, the Germans were occupying the city of Königsberg. They were in there. And like many beautiful cities in Europe, it got really heavily bombed. Actually, it's the British's fault that... Koenig looks the way it does now because the RAF bombed the city. Right. And the entire centre of the city was completely destroyed and flattened. And so when the Soviets took over in 1945, they just cleared everything away and started to rebuild it. And then sometime in the 60s or 70s, they built this grand Soviet-style building called the House of Soviets. It was basically going to be where everything that was needed to run the state of Kaliningrad was going to be. So you had the state council in there. You had all the offices of administration and various other bits and pieces. And they built this building in the middle of the city, cleared away everything that they could have had, all the shops or anything that was remaining there that had been built up from 1945 to the 60s or 70s, flattened it, put this massive concrete plaza down and built this concrete monstrosity. So around this point, you, you're saying that you want to fall in love with Kaliningrad, which I find is quite an interesting idea that you're kind of urging yourself to fall in love with it, but you're, you're almost struggling yeah, I'd, I'd had this notion that this was somehow going to be this charismatic part of Russia where you had this mix of German and Russian. And, and I'd had my prejudices about St. Petersburg so happily shattered that I was hoping to find the same thing in Kaliningrad. And it didn't happen to start with because I saw this awful concrete centre and this rubbish Soviet building that was still unoccupied. They built it, and it's still, it's not been used. There's nobody in it. There's nothing in this building that's been there for over 30 years. And it's never been used. Never been used. What a waste. So what was your strategy? Because obviously you, you go out, you leave your hotel. As a travel writer, you know how to get your teeth into a place. So what was your first kind of move to try and discover the bit of Kaliningrad you wanted to really see and love? I decided to walk, because I often find that it's through walking that you accidentally encounter things through serendipity or you're forced to take a little route and you just discover this magical little island of greenery or history. You continue a bit further forward and you cross over the canal where I am now. You suddenly feel like you're in Europe. I'm looking down and the way the canal is built, the way the bricks have been used, the way the trees have been planted, this feels like late medieval Europe. And it's taken me onto the island where the Konigsberg Cathedral is. It's been rebuilt by money raised by people who were the descendants of the old Germans that lived here. And suddenly I'm, I'm in Europe. And this is really what I came for in Kaliningrad, to see these layers of history. And it's lovely.
But since it's been rebuilt, the Königsberg Cathedral is used as a performance space with a massive organ. Can you describe this church to me? From the outside, it is a red brick cathedral. It's a rebuilding of the old Königsberg Cathedral, which was destroyed by the British in the bombing. And after the Soviet Union collapsed, a lot of Germans who used to live in Kaliningrad, or Königsberg as it was then, came back to visit it, to see what it was like. And the Russians, the local Russians, call these people the Nostalgic Germans. So the Nostalgic Germans would visit the city and they funded the rebuilding of this cathedral. And as far as I could tell, I don't think it's actually used as a religious venue anymore. I couldn't work out, I didn't see anything indicating that it was regularly used for ritual. But what it is used for is every day they have this concert on the organ. And they were playing Bach's Fugue. If you're going to listen to an organ piece, that's what it's going to be. And yeah, so I just stumbled across it, and I happened to be there as they were about to start playing this uh, daily concert. How did it feel being in there? So it's odd going to places that have been rebuilt, because whilst the Nostalgic Germans funded it, everybody that's in there is Russian, and it was built by Russians. And it's strange, because it's a bit like being in a Disneyland version of a city, because you know it's a rebuilding of the city in that particular area. And I think that's why in this part of the city in Koenig, I, I still felt this weird discomfort that I hadn't got to the heart of the city yet, that I was only seeing a plastic manufacturing of the old city rather than feeling the sense of the city itself. Well, I finally found a bit of old Konigsberg. If you head east from the Konigsberg Cathedral, you end up in a district called the Amalienau district. And here, the bombs didn't fall so heavily, and there's still lots of buildings from the German era, nicely spaced out. The streets are wide, lined with trees, and actually the river runs through this district. And it feels quite pleasant. Well, I finally found the young hipster bar. It's Bar Yeltsin, and they have a great selection of craft beers, friendly barman, Costa, and a good food menu. So if you're looking for a place to go in Kaliningrad, go to Bar Yeltsin. I'll keep you updated as I have more beers. So you ended up in this kind of hipster bar. I find it interesting that that aesthetic, the tentacles of that hipster aesthetic have kind of gone all around Europe and in fact all around the world and including into Kaliningrad. So can you describe this kind of trendy bar that you found yourself in? Sure. You had to go down some steps to go in and it was a corner bar. So you were actually at a level just below the main street level and it was a curved bar and there were just lots of young people in there. There were people in there that you would recognise from any university town or mm. uh, maybe from you know, 
Hackney Wick yeah. or Seven Sisters these days. Yeah. And it was a nice environment. The people there were very friendly. I walked in and just immediately said to the barman, do you speak English? He said, not much, but I'll try. Okay. So we ordered some food in English and sort of tried to have a chat with him and talked a bit about the music. And then this guy who'd come in with a couple of mates just walked over and said, oh, where are you from? Nice. And I said, I'm from England. He goes, oh, welcome to Kaliningrad. Yeah. And a couple of people did this whilst I was in there. And it seems that there's a natural curiosity from those young people that live in the city or within that region about the world. And they want to speak to people from the rest of the world. And they are open and they are interested. I've got chatting to Igor in the Yeltsin bar. And Igor's from Moscow, but has been living in Kaliningrad. And he's actually is, uh, on his second interview a day, which is quite unusual because... He... So you ended up chatting with this young guy. So w- what, what did he do? So he'd actually come to Kaliningrad from Moscow. And he'd come there because he felt that it was a place that you could pursue the creative industries better than if you were in Moscow. Which is another thing to think about because Moscow is this massive city, you know, it's becoming a world city Moscow. Lots of money there, lots of opportunity. But he felt that Kaliningrad was a better place for him to do that. So is Kaliningrad a good place to be a creative? Is it a place? Definitely, really? definitely. It's a good place to be creative and it's a good place to, uh, well, to feel relaxed and chilled. Because if you want to stay concentrated day by day, uh, well, it's quite hard to do it here. I don't know why. Maybe because uh, sea is quite quite uh, close to this place maybe because of these uh, um, of the amount uh, well of the size of the city it's very small everyone knows each other I go out to walk with my dog and I meet a friend of mine so and it's a natural situation for killing right uh, I was born in Moscow already well basically and uh, um, well it uh, happens there but much more rare did you get the feel there was a bit of a kind of artsy scene there? Yeah, definitely. And I spoke to a few people about it and I asked what was the cause of this. And they all said, well, people from Kaliningrad travel to Europe. And this dates back to when it was this closed state that no other Russians could go to. And they would only visit, I think they could only visit Estonia and the other Baltic states. Those were nearby. And even today, for those people to get to Russia... It's a massive pain for them because it's really far. You have to go through Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania or Belarus to get there. So rather than flying there, when they leave Kaliningrad, they go to Poland or they go to Lithuania. So they are much more used to engaging with Europe. And that is something that's historic and it is still current as well. So you ask people, what what do you think of the rest of Europe? And they go, well, I'll go to Poland on my weekends. I'll go and do shopping there. The, The beer's cheaper there. Yeah. And there's very much this feeling, just like we feel about, or or people on mainland Europe feel about their European neighbours. They're places that are different countries, but they're your neighbours and they're your friends and you'll go over and visit them. But you speak to the people and they're very Russian. They're proud to be Russian. Nobody who is there is native to that place. Because until 1945, it was all German. And then when the Soviet Union took over what was then Konigsberg. They kicked out all of the Germans and replaced it with people from the rest of Russia. So you have this unique melting pot where people are there from 
Kazakhstan, from Uzbekistan, from Vladivostok, where people are there from Siberia. So they're all forced into Kaliningrad and told, build a region of Russia within here. And I think that's part of what creates this unique identity of it. Are people here more open? I think so, yes. But uh, here, more, more people. Yes. Because in Siberia, I meet you. Wow! <laughs> wow! Thank you so much to Ash Bardwaj, reporting from his epic adventure through 10 countries from Arctic Norway all the way down to Romania. Now, to make sure you don't miss a single episode of Edgelands, subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your shows. And if you're enjoying it, please do leave us a rating and write us a review as we would love to hear from you. We'll be releasing a new episode weekly, but if you want to hear episode four ahead of schedule, you can go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash edgelands and listen to it right now. Click on each episode and you'll also find some brilliant additional content including videos, photographs and written features from our main man, Ash Bardwaj. And if you're the kind of person who listens to a podcast and thinks you want to go out and adventure for yourself, you're in luck because we've got some brilliant tours on Telegraph including one of Moscow and St. Petersburg. All of the links you need are up there on telegraph.co.uk forward slash edgelands. I've been Greg Dickinson. Thank you for listening to Edgelands. We hope to see you very, very soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.